Hello and welcome to the NACA podcast. I'm Doug Church, Deputy Director of Public Affairs at the National Air Traffic Controllers Association. In our last episode, we brought you the story of Fort Worth Center Air Traffic Controllers and NACA members Brian Cox, Larry Bell, and Colin McKinnon. The trio worked together as a team to help pilot and flight instructor Anise Shapiro and her student, Joni Usitalo, when the engine failed on his Piper PA-46 Malibu halfway into a 75-minute flight over West Texas. For their efforts, the controllers are being honored this year with the NACA Archie League Medal of Safety Award for the Southwest region. Today, we are honored to bring you part two of this event, a conversation with pilot Anise Shapiro. She told me what the experience was like and how she and Joni and the six dogs they were transporting all escaped unharmed after landing safely in a wheat field. Anise has been flying since 1997. This was her first engine failure, something she trains for all the time with her students. She told me that she could feel the Fort Worth Center team behind her, having her back. She said knowing that you're not alone actually is more helpful as a pilot than anything. Here's my conversation with Anise. Well, let's start by setting the table. So you're in a, a PA-46, is that correct? Correct. And how long have you been flying that plane, and how long have you been flying overall? Um, so I've been flying a long time. I've been flying since 1997. Um, I've been a career flight instructor. I flew corporate for a while, but have always ended up coming back to teaching. So this was actually one of my clients I was flying with. Um, he's a student of mine that I work with him through his private instrument and commercial. And so we were kind of new to the aircraft. He had bought the Malibu back in, uh, I believe October or November um, of 2019. And so we went through training. Um, You have to, with the Malibu, you have to go through specific training with a authorized instructor through the insurance. And so we had done that the previous November. And so during COVID, uh, I wasn't doing a whole lot of instruction and flying, but he and I were starting to do pilot for pause missions. And so that was something that we were actually doing that flight. We connected with them and were going out to West Texas quite a bit to pick up loads of dogs and bring them back to the Metroplex. And his aircraft is called the Starship Enterprise because we could load up a whole bunch of them. We actually had six on board that day. How many uh, can you fit uh, maximum? You know, a lot of it's going to depend on weight and where we're going, but he's, because he can pull out the seats, we can put in four small crates. Uh, We normally, he built in to the baggage area, um, kind of a gate system. So we can have one in that whole uh, baggage compartment, one or two, depending on, you know, how large they are, if they get along, and then we can even, even tether them. So I think at most we've had maybe eight, but we have to have small, you know, mix with larger dogs. That day we had a female uh, that was pregnant and she was in the back area. And then we had the mom with her four puppies. Oh, so I guess, yeah. Yeah. Her four puppies that were in the front area and the mom was kind of tethered and she was loose. And then we had the two crates of the smaller dogs. Okay. So you're heading, uh, uh, this was a VFR flight, is that right, into uh, RPH? Yes. So we had gone out to Hereford, um, and we had loaded up the dogs, and we were headed back towards RPH Graham. So what time of the day was it? It was on a Saturday. What time of the day was it? Do you remember? Yeah, we leave in the morning, so we're almost always out there before 
10 o'clock in the morning. We're trying to always make it back into the Metroplex by noon, one o'clock, because these dogs are normally making their way up north. And so it's a very long day for them. So my guess was that we probably had taken off around 9 30, 10 a.m. Um, probably it was around 10 30, 11 o'clock when it happened. So you're flying generally southeast, is that right? Yeah, we're, yeah, because we're coming back towards the Metroplex. And a lot of them we meet uh, pilots in McKinney. This one just happened to be Graham was a perfect place for us to meet. So that was, they, they try to coordinate because, like I said, it's a lot of legs. And so uh, it'll go from like one airplane to the next. And, and a lot of times they get split up. So we bring the majority of them and then there's like two airplanes that'll come and split up the load and move them where they need to go. Okay. How long a flight is that? And, and at what point in this flight did you first experience some difficulty? So uh, I think that the, the flight is probably about an hour and a half hour to an hour and a half to Graham, depending on the winds. We actually experienced right after takeoff, the first indication that there was a problem. There was a very loud noise. Uh, we knew something was going on, but we checked the engine instruments and everything seemed like it was running smoothly. We didn't see a reason to stop and stay in Hartford. So we originally just circled above the airport to assess and try to run some checks. and. I couldn't find any problems um, after that initial, like, really loud bang noise. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. Um, and so we climbed up and everything seemed fine. And there wasn't a mechanic out there. So I was like, okay, well, this needs to get looked at. I knew something was a little bit off with the engine, but I wasn't, I couldn't see an indication of it. So more of a gut feeling and just a little bit of engine roughness. So I was like, well, let's at least head back because worst case we can get to Abilene. I need a maintenance facility there that could help us if we needed it. So we climbed to 15.5 and there were no problems. And so we started heading back and it was probably about 30 minutes into the flight. We were a little bit past halfway actually, maybe about 30 to 45 minutes. Um, the engine just suddenly quit and we had a windmilling prop. <laughs> wow. Had that ever happened to you before in all of your years of flying? No. Have over ten thousand hours, and this last year I had that feeling almost like it was my time. But I have not had any engine failures or engine fires. I've had other little emergencies. I've had a magneto go out. I've had alternators have gone out, but that was my very first um, engine failure. I practice it all the time, and I run my students through it all the time. So I am very fortunate to feel, you know, like I can handle it. But it. Definitely was totally different when it happened to me for real life. <laughs> so your initial thought immediately goes to checklist mode and, and experience of, of what you do during the training to oh, apply that to this? Yeah, and I train all my students to uh, use flight following or file IFR um, when they're flying. So you, for that reason, you have someone on the radio to get help. So it was very, my first response was tell him best glide autopilot off, best glide, and I keyed in uh, and declared an emergency. We need the closest airport. Okay. It, it's interesting. All of our our controllers uh, you know, all remarked that initial transmission from you was so calm. <laughs> Sometimes you hear, I mean, I've heard a lot of air traffic control tapes, and I'm a communications person. I'm not a, a controller, but having covered this for this amount of time, I've heard so many 
calls for emergency where it, it's, it's quite frantic, obviously, and, and quite, um, you know, emotions are, are running high. You try and get a handle on that and the controllers work with the pilots. In this case, right out of the gate, you, you just had this calmness about it. Is that just in innate in your experience that just that that nature or, or how are you able to stay so calm when that initially happened? <laughs> It's very hard to answer that. I did not feel calm. Um, I need to probably listen to the tapes. I'm glad I came off that way because I was wondering afterwards, you know, how I did sound because a lot of things are going through your mind. I think we were very fortunate to have two pilots on board. So I go very much into instructor mode of directing, watching, knowing what's going on. And like you said, pulling out the checklist. And so I have training in the Citation and Learjet as a SIC trained individual. And so I'm used to, I'm the one that runs the checklist. So I told him what to do, declared the emergency to get help and immediately pulled the checklist out so that we could start running through it all to see if we could get the engine started. I definitely internally was not as calm. I think it's just innate in instructors to create a calm environment for your client so that because if i'm calm they're more calm mm -hmm. and so it, it definitely helped i became maybe bossy but um direct yes. so he's he's used i'm used to flying with him as well and so he purposely always brings me along on trips like that so that we do have two people to handle emergencies i'm glad i was with him but Internally, I was wondering, am I going to survive this? Internally, I was wondering, where the heck am I going to go? Internally, I was wondering, do I have to say goodbye to my family? But uh, I'm glad that I came off very calm. And as a pilot, you're trained to, to do what you're trained to do, right? Uh, there's no other way to get out of it unless you follow directly the path that is hopefully going to get you safely on the ground. And so, yeah. So in this case, somebody to talk to help too. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Well, let's get to that uh, because we're talking about, and I told told the controllers this last week, is, you know, controllers are always like plan A, if that doesn't work, plan B, if that doesn't work, plan C. In this case, I think we got to about plan D, right? Because yeah. the, your initial destination was obviously not going to be an option. And then your secondary option, so let's talk about the secondary option first, was Knox City. Is that, that was initially where they asked you if you could get to. And right. so let's take it the story from there and, and you seeing if, if Knox City was a possibility and then take us through the sequence of events there. It was really helpful. So as soon as I declared the emergency, the controller was very quick to tell us which airport. He gave us one o'clock, Knox City, the identifier. So I was able to put it into the GPS and give us a direct line. So we were at Best Glide. We started to run the checks to um, feather the props so that we could get the best glide that we could, turn the airplane in that direction and start looking visually to see if we could see the airport. Uh, I did have a visual. I had four flight up. There's a glide ratio that you can create specific to the aircraft. And so it did look for a long period of time like we were going to make the airport. Uh, the glide ring was just past it. So I was like, okay, that's even better, right? If it's past it, then I can glide to it, no problem. I can adjust the speeds. And then, unfortunately, the lower we got, West Texas has stronger winds. And so we got a stronger and stronger headwind um, as we were descending. And then the ring was over the airport. I was like, we can still make it. We can hopefully make it. We might make it. Does not look like we're going to make it. 
But the controller had also given me the plan C, like you said. So Knox City was our initial um, choice. And then he gave us the option for a highway. So the only thing I saw that he was calling a highway looked more like a dirt road. Um, I know West Texas pretty well. And when you're driving out there, a lot of those highways, as they call them, are two lane dirt looking roads. They have uh, fence lines on both sides and a lot of trees. Between us and the airport, there was a lot of mesquite trees. Uh, so uh, we decided the I did not think that it was a highway. I said, I don't see a highway. I see a road. I don't feel comfortable putting down there. And there was nothing but mesquite trees. And so I didn't like that being my only option. So underneath us, we were, we happened to be over a lot of wheat fields. Um, and so I told my client, I said, we need to pick a field. And he said, I've got a perfect one on my left. And I responded to him as, well, hopefully you've picked a good field because I've drilled him a million different times. You know, I'll get them pretty low to see what they have chosen, if it is a good choice or not. And so I couldn't see what he made. It made me a little bit nervous because I was really pinching control, but I believed that I had trained him properly. So uh, I said, okay, no problem. So we came around, we started a circle. I let ATC know we had the field made. Uh, we were putting down, it looks like we're about I don't know if I had given him an idea. I, I think I said how far we seemed away. I was hoping that they were going to send help. Um, and so we worked it with, you know, my training just came in. I helped him as far as airspeeds go. And then I was putting in flaps and gear and hoping that we were going to land in time to get on the brakes and not hit the fence line at the end. And we were very lucky. It was a perfect wheat field. It was wow. nice and smooth. There was no, um, rain or anything in the area and there was no cattle there was no literally everything worked out really well the person who owned the field let us know that they had just cleared off the hay um every other field around it had cattle on it we happened to choose the one that did not um it was a very large piece of land so uh we had plenty of room from where the fence line started but it's kind of interesting. You don't know until you're on the ground and then you look at each other and you're like, wow, okay. Now, <laughs> <laughs> and then we ran checklists to shut down the airplane and get out. And thankfully you guys had called uh, in a helicopter crew that was in Knox city. And we didn't have to wait very long before we saw them coming to our rescue and they helped us get out of the situation. Well, in talking to each of them, they each of them uh, outlined for me their specific role. Obviously, you, Brian was the one on the mic talking with you. Uh, Colin was the one who had some pilot experience as a pilot himself and could offer some expertise there. And then Larry was the one uh, who was the controller in charge position in charge of that area that day, um, did all the coordination and uh, as far as contacting rescue personnel knowing that where you were going to be set down in and, and to make sure that help could arrive. So um, it was a team of people that had your back there. I suspect based on, on the air, on the transmission and then the recordings that you could feel that, that you had a team that yes. had your back, that you're not going through this by yourself. You got, everybody's looking out for you here, right? Very much so. And I felt very comfortable with that. Like knowing that you're not alone actually is uh, more helpful probably as a pilot than anything, just knowing that they did have my back. I did feel like I had help 
because you if you've never had that happen before it's a brand new experience it's pretty intense um and they stayed super calm so the calmer they every transmission was the more calm i felt like this is okay they believe in me i have this made uh and my crew is even outside of the airplane which was very helpful um how long did it take then once you were on the ground before help did arrive Obviously, it actually wasn't as long as I thought. Area, I was but... wondering, like, how many hours, you know. I, it's weird in West Texas, you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. Um, but I think within probably about 20 minutes, uh, oh, they great. came and they were very, very nice. They came originally, they just came to find out if we needed anything before they even took us out. And because we had the load of dogs, we couldn't just abandon the airplane. So they came and they checked on us. They looked at the airplane with us and then um, they left and got what they could uh, to give the dogs water because it was still really warm in Texas. Um, and they brought back water for the dogs. And then the next thing you know, pretty much everyone in the town is showing up and the dogs are in air conditioning pretty quickly. And uh, they were able to drive them out of the field and take them. So the, the aircraft actually that was meeting us in Graham came over to Knox City and picked them up and put them in there, that airplane. And the dogs could continue their mission to their forever homes. And so um, it even continued, you know, past like being in the field. We had more uh, teamwork to continue the mission. and get them to where they needed to be oh that's great and and were you uninjured or did you have any bumps and bruises no, or those kind of no things? injury yeah i was joking with everybody that it was one of the softest landings we've ever had and that the dogs could have slept through the whole thing it was oh, wow. pretty incredible we picked a perfect field it, that's it great could not have been a better situation and lined ourselves up perfectly with the wheat rows so it wasn't very bumpy at all. It was nice and calm. The, the biggest thing was getting on the brakes and making sure we didn't hit the fence line, but we had plenty of room. Um, it was a perfect short field, soft field landing, and yeah, they they slept. <laughs> they, they seemed comfortable. There was no damage to them or us. That's amazing. In thinking about the length of time that this occurred, I mean, I was kind of joking with the guys last week that the time that we were on the phone was about a half hour, which is what it's approaching now for you and I here. It's probably about three times as long as this event occurred, right? Between the time of the you declared emergency to the time you're in the field. I'm sure it didn't feel very quick when you're up there. It probably felt like no. it <laughs> Yeah, you feel like you're standing still in time. Um, it, it's a strange feeling where it does feel like it's going very quick. And it also feels like it's going really slow. I, I didn't know how much time had passed. It's great, like I said, that you said I sounded so calm because internally, everything is just spiraling up and your brain is going at such a high rate and I'm pulling the checklist and I'm trying to read the checklist and then I'm trying to talk to the guys on the radio. And they were great about not getting in the way, uh, but being there when we needed them. Um, I've had other times that I've had semi-emergencies where I've had to tell the controller, I don't care about you right now. <laughs> I need to handle what's going on. You need to be calm. Uh, but that didn't happen this time. So it definitely helped both of us stay focused and uh, also feel like we had help. That's why they say aviate, navigate, communicate mm -hmm. in that order, correct? Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't ask for too much. You know, they would kind of 
he was great about giving me a phone number, but saying, you let me know when you can write it down. Um, they just want to know that we got on the ground safely and things like that. So uh, okay. I never felt like I was getting pressured at all. Um, it, it, it helped calm me. Okay. How long was it before you went back up in the air for another flight? I might have flown in the next day. I'm not really sure. I'd have to look back. I. It was funny. Some of my friends had said, I can't believe you would get in another single engine. I said, well, that's what I do. Um, yeah, I, it didn't stop me. I, that day was definitely an adrenaline rush. So I felt very high amount of energy. Um, so I felt like I ran a marathon. I was exhausted. By the time you decompress, uh, you're very tired mentally, physically. But we also had to leave Knox City. So I had actually asked some friends of mine and put it out there that we needed a ride back. And so a pilot came and she picked us up and we flew back that afternoon because I wanted to get back. It was much faster than getting a car and trying to drive back. And so she came and picked us up in the airplane and dropped us off at our cars. And um, so I guess actually I was back in an airplane that day because I did yeah. sit right seat with her. Um, and then, yeah, it didn't stop it. I had no problem. And then when the airplane had the new engine and it, I needed to fly it over to Abilene for the check, I went out there and had no problem getting in the aircraft. I trust the mechanic that did the work. He asked us to do a gear down uh, flight over so he could swing the gear and, you know, check it before we left. Um, just make sure since we landed in a field that it was operating properly. Um, so I moved it over and he did the checks and then flew it back from Abilene, no problem. And we're still flying it, so. It's got a Absolutely. new engine now. There's no reason not to fly it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's safer than it ever was. Brand new engine, so no no issues. And it's doing great. It's a great aircraft. Uh, I feel very safe in it, so. That's fantastic. Is there anything else that uh, that I didn't ask that, uh, that you'd like to mention? No, I think you covered pretty much everything. Um, I am very thankful for ATC and their help with the um, scenario. I'm hoping that I don't have to deal with it or have another engine issue or anything happen for a while. But um, I do feel, I, I like the fact that what I took from all of this is it's really nice to hear that I stay, I did sound so calm because I don't think I felt that way. <laughs> Well, when it's safe to do so, I know that they're very anxious to meet you. Uh, when it when it is feasible and safe, uh, I'm looking forward to that day where we can make that happen, so that they can they can uh, you know meet you and, and share some stories and. Yeah, I'd and, love uh, that. You know, that's the biggest thing as a pilot is um, also as an instructor. There's that. Who is that person in the sky? that you're talking to. And so I always try to get my students to go up into the towers at whatever airport we're at so they can meet people. So it's always great to come together because we are always working hand in hand. And so um, I would definitely appreciate meeting them because I'm sure they'll hear my voice and I will be back out in West Texas. Uh, I talk to Fort Worth Center all the time. And so, um, and they may have had me on the radio already, and we don't know because we've been we've already done some trips out to Hereford again um, to pick up loads of dogs. So sure, okay, that would be awesome. Well, I really just want to thank you again. Um, 
this has just been a phenomenal story and I'm so appreciative of you for sharing it. I appreciate it. It was very nice to meet you and I look forward to, yeah, all getting together at some point. It was nice to meet you too. Continued best to wish. Thank you. About to go fly. So okay. this mission is uh, another really safe Excellent. good one. Be safe. Take care. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the NACA podcast. I'm Doug Church at the NACA National Office. Stay safe, and we look forward to bringing you another episode soon.